Hi, my name is Andrew Ledbetter, and I am a Sunday school teacher in the A57 class at First Baptist Church of Keller. And uh, that class mostly has families with young kids, so a lot of married couples in our group. And uh, as I think about the people that are in the Sunday school class that I teach, uh, I'm particularly excited to come here and look at the book of Song of Solomon together, uh, because this book very much speaks about marriage. That is what the book focuses on. And, you know, I get the sense it's a book we don't talk about a whole lot. And I think that's unfortunate because this book shows us the value that God places on marriage in all of its dimensions, spiritual, physical, emotional. Uh, The book is about that. And of course, that reflects who God is because God has created us male and female in his image. We also know from Ephesians 5 that marriage reflects the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. So I'm excited to look at these verses here together today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Song of Solomon 5. I'm going to go ahead and read that passage here in a moment, but first let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for creating marriage. We thank you for what a good gift it is, and we thank you that you have told us about it in your word and given us guidelines for how marriage is to operate. I pray that you would guide my words as I speak here and pray that you would lead us into your truth. pray you would bless those who are hearing this, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go into Song of Solomon 5 here, and I'm going to start with verse 6. But just for a little bit of context, uh, in this, well, well, the Song of Solomon overall is structured as a poem, and it's a poem with some speakers that go back and forth. We have the husband, we have the wife, and then we have this chorus of others, of friends that also speak in the midst of the book. And as we come into Song of Solomon 5, the wife is having a dream. So if you look at verse 2, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. So she's asleep, but her heart's awake. She is, she is thinking, she is dreaming. And as she has this dream, it's, it's different than the dream I had the other night. I had a very good dream the other night. I dreamed that I, I won a large amount of money, like billions of dollars. And it's like, okay, how do I invest this money? And well, then I woke up, so that was disappointing. But, but that was a good dream. Uh, that was definitely not a nightmare. Uh, this is a nightmare. She is having a nightmare. She thinks that she hears her husband at the door. She goes to open the door for him, and, well, we'll see what's ha- what happens as we start with verse 6. So starting in verse 6 down through the end of the chapter. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. And then the others say, What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? And then the wife says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choices the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So let's start by looking at verses 6 through 8 here. We're going to break this up into uh, three different... uh, 
thoughts here that, that suggest what kind of emotional response we should have to our spouse in marriage. And I realize some of you listening to this may be married. Some of you may be formally married. Some of you may uh, expect to be married someday or, or hope to be. Uh, but I think whenever we look at marriage, uh, it is helpful no matter what our relational status is because, well, again, it, it tells us something about the character of God. It, it prepares us for a marriage that we may have someday, and it lets us also interact with and minister to those in our sphere of influence that are married. So I hope that whatever your relational status is, you find uh, God's word helpful in, in those things. But if we start with verses 6 through 8, that's, that's the end of that dream, this nightmare. Uh, she opens and, and her husband is not there. So she goes and searches for him in the city. And while she's out, a, a terrible thing happens. The, the guards mistreat her. And so she turns to the daughters of Jerusalem and says, tell my beloved that I am sick with love. I mean, it, I very much get this dreamlike sense from this. I mean, this is, you know, she, she's in a room and then he's not there and she's out in the streets and she's being beaten. I mean, it, it's, it just kind of flows from here to there and, and maybe even just seems like just a sequence of images. Uh, you might think of, of dreams you've had that kind of feel like that. So what does this dream reveal? Why is this in God's word? What does this communicate to us about how people should interact in a marriage. Uh, well, I think that one thing we see is the wife's longing for her husband. So we see her miss him when he is gone. And that shows us that it is good and right to long for our spouse when he or she is absent. That's a difficult thing. If you know somebody that is without their spouse, either temporarily or permanently, uh, that is a hard thing for them. And it's important for us to understand that. I think about my own marriage. My wife and I have uh, been, been blessed to have been married for now over 15 years, coming up on 16 years at the beginning of next year. And our marriage began right after she had taken a job in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was still a graduate student at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas. And if you're familiar uh, with the geography there, that's about a three and a half to four hour distance between those two cities. And since I was still taking classes down there, I would commute down there I'd go and spend about three days in Lawrence and then commute back up and spend four days with my wife in Omaha. And let me tell you, that was not a great way to start a marriage. I would not recommend that to anybody. It was very difficult to be away from my wife. Was blessed to have some friends in our church that let me stay in their place rent-free, so we were provided for there and definitely appreciated the love of brothers and sisters with supporting us in that, but it was not easy. And in fact, it lasted a semester before we said, well, forget this. We're just going to have her quit her job in Omaha and take a step in faith to move back to Lawrence. And the Lord provided an even better job for her there. Uh, but that was hard. That was difficult. It's hard to be away from your spouse. And we definitely see her feeling that here in, in these verses. I think we also see something here about the female experience that, if I can speak to the men for a moment, uh, we need to be sensitive to as we think about our wives, as we think about other women that we know. And that is that there is a, a greater sense of physical danger that women face that men often don't. You know, for men walking by themselves in the city or walking to their car at night, you know, maybe you're aware that there could be danger, but, you know, you're probably not as concerned with it as I sense that women tend to be. And I think we see that here too. She's sensitive to the danger that she faces in the city. That is something that is in her mind. So men, I think that certainly to the extent that we can, we should make the women in our sphere of influence and particularly our wives, if we're married, we should make them feel safe uh, to whatever extent we can. We should, you, you may not have great strength to go and fight off the bad guys if they come, but you can certainly show that you're looking out for her interests. You're concerned with her well-being. 
Uh, you'll walk her somewhere at night to keep her safe if that is something you have an opportunity to do. Uh, if you're a husband, putting her interests above your own, refraining from bad choices, doing things that make your life chaotic or unstable. If you can refrain from those things, well, then you can give your wife a sense of safety that is probably something that she very much craves in her heart. So being sensitive to that, that desire for safety on the part of women and on the part of our wives, I think, is something we see here. And then I think we do see here also the pain of losing a spouse permanently. That's a, a very difficult thing. Uh, if, uh, and, and really, let's be honest, that's uh, the end of all, all marriages is, um, you know, we, this life is not forever. We do pass away. And at some point, uh, you know, unless the couple dies together, there's a widow or a widower that is left behind. And I've not walked that road, so I, I can't speak to that personally. I know there are others listening that might have known uh, of the betrayal of adultery or of spousal abandonment. So I, I can't speak to that firsthand. I know there are uh, resources at our church and in Christian counseling that, that can help if that's something you're struggling with. But I do know that the Lord knows that pain. And I know it because we see that desire for the spouse that is mentioned here in the Song of Solomon and the pain when our spouse is absent. So the Lord knows that pain and certainly you can bring that to him. So I love that he has put that acknowledgement of that here in his word for us. So overall, in this dream, this nightmare, we see the pain of the, the absence of a spouse. And then we see the others ask this question that, as I read it, almost sounds kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, she's asking for help. And they're like, oh, really? Why is this guy that great? Can you, can you tell us about why he's great? That might sound kind of strange to us. But I think what it does is it gives her an opportunity to reflect on how much she appreciates her husband. It shows that she has thought about this. And certainly, if you're thinking about entering into marriage, that is something you should think about. What is this person's character? And first and foremost, do they love the Lord? Are they a person that is passionately in love with Jesus Christ? Uh, certainly something very important to think about if you're thinking about marriage. But as she goes on here, she describes her beloved, she describes her husband, and she is clearly enamored with his physical appearance. In fact, one commentator, Tom Gledhill, wrote about these verses, if she has gone overboard in her poetic metaphors, well, that is excusable. After all, she is totally and irrevocably overwhelmed with her lover. Uh, and uh, my uh, friends and family that know me well, including my Sunday school class, know that I am a rather unabashed fan of the works of Taylor Swift. She has a song, Lover, where she is delighting in the person that she is in love with. So, you know, as we think about these, uh, that, that just brings that to mind. And uh, certainly as we think about uh, these verses here and read them, they probably sound strange to our ear. You know, we don't tend to, I've never had my wife come to me and say, uh, you know, that uh, my arms are rods of gold set with jewels. I would be like, what mental image is in your head, honey? Like, that's, that's very strange. You know, I've, I've never been told that my legs are like alabaster columns. I don't think that's a typical uh, word of praise that we use there. So these metaphors may not translate that well across time and culture, but we can think of songs on the popular radio or other places where we hear people expressing their appreciation for uh, their husband or wife. And uh, we can see maybe that's the translation across cultures, is we still do heap praise on those that we love and care about. At least that's something we should do. And I think that that is the lesson here, is to spend time purposefully admiring and appreciating our spouse, our husband or wife. We see that she clearly appreciates her husband's physical appearance. And you're, you may or may not feel good about your physical appearance, uh, but looking for ways to delight 
in our spouse's physical appearance is very, very important. Not all of us are movie stars or, act, or, or actors or, or models. Most of us aren't. But we can celebrate who the Lord has made our spouse physically. We can appreciate that. We can affirm that. We can celebrate that because God is the creator of us all. He has knit us all together in our mother's wombs. He has created us the way that we are, and we should delight in our spouse and who they are physically. But more generally, we should also look for ways to admire them in all areas of life. Their talents, their opportunities, the things they do to show love toward others, their love for the Lord and how they seek to strive and, uh, and to strive to serve him. That's very important to be on the lookout for those things to admire about our spouse and to express that appreciation. I love that my wife does, does that so well, and I hope that by God's grace, I do that for her. Because here's the thing, if you go looking for bad things in your spouse, I guarantee you that you will find them. Not because I necessarily know your spouse, but I know from God's word that we are all sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you look at your spouse, if your spouse looks at you, they will find evidence of that sin. And in fact, as two people come into close relationship and we reveal ourselves to our spouse, uh, the, the sin nature often comes out. We see that person so closely, of course we see that just like us, they are a sinner. But I think that the call of, of Christ in, in strong marriages is that we cover over those minor mishaps with grace. We show grace to our spouse. Our spouse shows grace to us. Certainly major concerns, we address those and we address those concerns in love. But we're also on the lookout to actively celebrate the gifts that God has given to that person and our mutual progress and sanctification. And of course, that is critical that uh, for believing a believing wife and husband, they're both focused on the Lord. Certainly they can celebrate each other, but their marriage should be first and foremost focused on the glory of God, as should be the case in all things that we do. And of course, the cross of Christ is our model as we think about how to love anybody. But again, if we look at Ephesians 5, that is particularly the call for husbands with wives to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So being willing to sacrifice our own interests for the good of the other person is very, very important. And as we think about this admiration that the wife has, I'd also point out she is expressing it to the others. She's expressing it to the others. This isn't just her private thoughts. We aren't getting a peek in her diary here. Maybe she did write it down in her diary. I don't know. But in this book, she is expressing this to the others. She is speaking positively about her spouse. She is being a good uh, PR agent for her spouse, for her husband. She is, she is, she is like, she's his biggest fan. She's a fan of him. She is speaking very, very positively about him. And I think there is a lesson there too, that as you talk with others about your husband or wife, speak positively about them. Don't belittle them. Uh, that, is, that is a negative thing. If you are going to others and you are berating or minimizing your husband or wife, don't do this. I appreciate that's something I've never seen my wife do. Instead, if there are issues to address, you should address those with your spouse. But as you talk with others, I would encourage you to speak in, in admiration of them and appreciation for them. Highlight their good qualities just like you would want them to highlight uh, your good qualities when they speak with others. Okay, so we see here the pain of the spouse's absence in the dream. We see her expression of admiration for her husband. And then as we look at the end of verse 16, I think there's a striking point here about the nature of marriage, and that is that it is both involves romance but also friendship. So at the very end of the chapter, we see the wife say of her husband, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. 
O daughters of Jerusalem. I think this is a striking claim. This is a striking verse because at least as far as I know about relationships between men and women, including within marriage in the ancient world, uh, they were not particularly characterized by a sense of, of friendship and equality. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. Please do let me know if I am. But we see the wife refer to the husband as her friend. He is her beloved. He is her friend. As I understand it, the Hebrew here can also be translated as partner or neighbor. And I think in our culture, that, that's something that sounds kind of familiar. We often hear people say, oh, I married my best friend. Well, I think in this case, we see God affirming that sense that, yes, we are in a romantic relationship with our husband or wife, but that person is also our friend. Marriages can get into trouble when they neglect that friendship aspect, when they cease to spend time together, when they cease to listen to each other. Uh, they, they don't find um, hobbies to have in common. Uh, they don't care for each other the way that we would expect friends to do. Uh, it is important to have both that sense of romantic desire, that romance alive in the marriage, but also that sense of friendship. So I think we see here in terms of her, her appreciation of her husband as her beloved and her friend, that is a great model for married couples here to, to yes, celebrate the romantic passion and, and keep that alive in your marriage, but also keep that friendship strong and alive in your marriage as well. Uh, you know, it's interesting as I come to these verses, I think about my own work. I'm a professor at TCU and I study interpersonal relationships. I've done some studies on friendship and I've done some studies on romantic relationships. And actually with one of my uh, students uh, this last year who is a believer, uh, she was very interested in how people keep their friendships going. So we did a study on that. And what we found are, are things that you might expect. Uh, increasing the amount of communication that you engage in, addressing problems in the relationship that need to be addressed, finding those shared activities and hobbies, also having social networks in common. And we see that in, this verse, in these verses here in this book. Uh, they have others. There are others around them. Good marriages, uh, you know, I think it's, it's important to have, have friends and family that are supporting that marriage. And of course, for Christians, the church is, is a very important context for that, that you're spending time with your spouse ministering in the context of a local church. But what we also found in this study is that friends, friendships that were solid and strong tended to share a common worldview. And of course, worldview is kind of a big word, but basically that refers to having the same faith. Okay, so it's very important in a marriage uh, that, that, that your spouse is a believer. Certainly as you look to marry somebody, um, you know, seeking somebody who is a fellow believer, that should be a non-starter. If the person is not a believer, they have not come to salvation in Jesus Christ, do not pursue that relationship further, at least not romantically. Certainly you can try to share the gospel with them. Um, and, you know, if you are married to somebody that is not a believer, uh, there are passages in scripture that address that, such as 1 Peter 3. But for those um, that are believers that are married to each other, uh, to build that foundation in your marriage, it is very important to spend time together for, focusing on the Lord, talking about scripture, praying together, spending time ministering to others, sharing the gospel, being part of a local church. That is very important to nourishing that romance and friendship that God has put into marriage. Okay, so I love these verses here. This is a great picture as we think about marriage of emotional response to our spouse, uh, missing the spouse when, when uh, he or she is absent, uh, celebrating and admiring our husband or wife, and then also appreciating them as our beloved and as our friend. So let me go ahead and close this in prayer as we finish up. Father, I thank you for these verses. I thank you for the book of Song of Solomon. 
Father, I pray for uh, those who are listening to these uh, uh, to this lesson who are married. I pray that you would be gracious to strengthen their marriages, help them to be solidly focused on Jesus Christ. May you be honored and glorified through them. And Lord, for those that are not married, I pray you'd help them make wise choices in regards to their relationships that would honor you. We thank you that marriage tells us so much about um, about who you are and about the relationship you have with the church. And we pray that you'd be glorified through all the marriages that we have in our church. We thank you for this time together, and I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.